Hey, everybody. It's Michelangelo Caruso. I am with Amy Satterfield today. Hi, Amy. Hi. We're talking today about um, something that most people hear a lot about but don't know a, a lot about, and it's yoga. And you, and you have a yoga studio. It's a very popular place in Troy, Michigan, correct? Uh, yes, we're in Troy, Michigan. Explore yoga. Explore yoga. Very good. And where can people find it online, Amy? Uh, we are at exploreyogatroy.com. Okay, very good. How long have you been doing, how long have you had a, a, a studio? Um, the studio is in its fifth year right now, so we opened in 2014. All right, congratulations, that's great. And uh, what, uh, what got you into yoga personally? Everybody's got their own story about this, either influenced by a friend or uh, got tired of being stressed all the time, but when you open a studio, you really dedicate yourself to the practice, yeah? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, um, you know, I kind of dabbled in yoga a little bit over the years, um, but really I got pretty deep into the practice of yoga after I had my third child. Um, and it was kind of a, yoga wasn't exactly what I was looking for. I was actually looking for a way to lose weight, um, you know, and a way to exercise. Um, and I found my way into a self-defense gym, which um, ironically enough is where I started teaching yoga. Uh, so I was kind of encouraged by the owners of the self-defense gym to um, teach at their gym and kind of the rest is history. So that's an interesting transition because self-defense is, I, I know a lot of it's built, built on um, nonviolence, but it is a fairly physical thing and yoga seems to be such a Zen peaceful thing, Yeah. but they are related, aren't they? Um, I don't know if they're related, but I would say, um, you know, balance is everything. Um, the, the type of self-defense that I practiced was called Krav Maga. So it's um, Israeli self-defense. And the whole model behind that is um, so that one may walk in peace. So that kind of, you know, ties into the whole yoga thing as well. Yeah, well, I guess what I meant was self-defense is not about harming the other person. It's about defending yourself from harm. Yeah. And I don't know. We'll get into that in just a second. I want people to know why yoga is important, why they should think about taking better care of themselves, and, and in particular, the connection between yoga and body, you know, yoga and physical health, which, um, which is an interesting place right now. I, mean, I don't know that the AMA actually, the AMA is an interesting organization, the American Medical Association, because they, they don't officially recognize psychology the not just some of psychology the the entire field of psychology because they're predicated on ama is we have to wait for you to be in pain and then we will give you a pill or a, a surgery to correct it mm -hmm. right so they're not about preventive type stuff which is really what yoga is isn't it right. sure absolutely yeah and so and so what's interesting to me is that this connection between the mind and the body, we think of yoga sometimes as a mental thing, but after having gone to many, many sessions now, I think it's very, very physical. Do you lean one way or the other, or are they kind of just co-joined in your mind? Well, I think it's all connected. You know, as we move the physical body, we tap into the mind as we um, really start to focus and hone our breath. Um, that taps into our nervous system. And yeah. it's kind of all connected. So. You know, we don't walk out of a yoga class having only done a physical practice, but we might have walked out doing um, much more than that, you know, tapping into our nervous system and our mind and, you know, maybe the soul as well. Yeah, so some surprising things from my limited experience with yoga is 
is, uh, and for those of you that never have attended a session, you have to go at least once. And, and by the way, once gives you only a flavor of what it's about. You don't actually get good at it for many, many sessions. That's why they call it a practice, right, Amy? And so what I was surprised at was what I was actually sweating in yoga class, which just blew my mind that I'm just standing there and I'm breaking out in a sweat and you have to really do it to appreciate why this happens. But there's something that's physical about maintaining a pose. And that's a big part of yoga practices, striking these uh, poses, some of which are difficult uh, in terms of uh, being strenuous, but some are just about balance, right? And focus. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, I think a lot of times when people walk into a yoga class, they don't know what to expect the first time. Um, and we do have people moving in ways that they're not used to moving. So we, you know, I've even talked to really high level athletes before that are sweating um, and having a really hard time, you know, even in their peak physical performance state, um, yoga is still hard for them. Yeah. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, and I mean hard in a healthy sense. It wasn't, you know, I didn't walk out exhausted or anything. It was just a challenge. And one of the challenges is in our busy life, you know, we're busy all the time. Or we're always multitasking. We always have, we're watching television while we text. We don't do anything with complete dedication anymore. A while back, uh, a friend and I went to a high ropes course and it was uh, rejuvenating because you don't, I, I didn't find myself thinking about anything except the next element. You know, not that I could fall. It was just, it was delightful just to be focused on one thing for a change. And I find it's the same way in yoga, if you can clear your head, that you're just focused on one thing, and, it's, and it's, it's a remarkable feeling to do that anymore. You must get that type of feedback from your students. Oh, yeah. You know, not only in taking a yoga practice, but for me, it's a gift just to teach a yoga class. Um, for me, I'm actually more present in that one hour that I'm teaching a yoga class, even than I am, you know, if I'm taking one. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important to remember that we're not really looking um, – for the mind to be completely blank or to be vacant, um, but just for us to be present. And that movement, that mindful movement um, combined with the breath is really what helps us get there or try to get there. Yeah. How many different types of yoga are there? Unknown. <laughs> there are many different types of yoga. You know, yoga actually is a pretty, um, it's still kind of emerging. You know, you're going to see all different types of yoga um, emerging probably, I would imagine, maybe forever. But um, there's definitely some classical styles of yoga. We talked a little bit earlier, um, you know, Ashtanga, Kundalini, um, and just more um, yoga that's been around for a really long time. And then we have uh, some yoga combo classes that are coming up. I've seen yoga with weights. I've seen yoga. I mean, really, there's all different kinds of yoga. Um, at our studio, we keep it um, like I mentioned before, um, just more anatomically based, movement based. Um, but we do also have different styles within our studio as well. So where we were talking about yoga maybe being a physical challenge in some of the classes, we also have classes that are all about relaxation, um, not about sweating, not about movement even. So guided meditation type classes. Um, you know, so there, there's really many numerous types of yoga. It's interesting to me that no matter what level uh, uh, people are in, in the classes that I attend, we almost always start the yoga session on our back, and we almost always end it the same way. There's a, there's a real uh, rational and thoughtful warm-up and then cool-down to the activity, unlike a lot of other stuff we do, where it's bam, I'm working, bam, I'm not working. Right. There's like this, um, even in sports, you know, people are reluctant to stretch before or after. 
But in yoga, it's mindful. It's a much different way to approach things. I want to get back to uh, anatomy, which you referenced a little bit earlier, and this connection between body and yoga. Um, so there are two things going on in society right now that I notice. Actually, three. All right. The first one is this sedentary lifestyle that's just killer. Yeah. This idea of sitting, sitting around and not being active. So cholesterol just starts to pool in your, uh, not pool maybe, but collecting your bloodstream. Um, that's, that's one lifestyle that we're seeing, sedentary. A lot of television, a lot of working at your desk, you're not moving around very much. The second one that I've noticed just in the last 10 or 20 years is this very physical extreme sports. We just saw the movie Free Solo, which is about climbing without ropes, which just blows my mind. You've, you've seen some of this extreme, extreme sports, right? Yeah, of course. Skateboarding and uh, what else? Uh, uh, just crazy stuff. There's a new one now, you probably know the name of it, where people jump up against walls and do backflips and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, gosh, I can't remember the name of it now, but I know what you're, you're talking about, yeah. It starts with a P, I think. I'll put it in the notes later. But it's crazy. I mean, it's like we're, like, we're all Jason Bourne waiting to happen, you know? Right. And then the third thing that I see happening is this, this more reasonable, at least for most of us, yoga practice is this mind over matter, this connection between body and and, and, and mind. And the first time it hit me was, um, I knew somebody that had gone in for heart surgery and they, you know, they did the rib spreader and they crack your, uh, actually tr crack your sternum to do the open heart surgery back in the day. And, um, because they didn't let you stay in the hospital as long, you were up and walking the next day in, in no small measure of pain, by the way. So we had this sense like, you know, the, the, the mind heals, which yogis have known for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then there's two types of healing. You can get in front of it and prevent stuff from happening. And then you can heal faster after something bad happens through thoughtful practice. Do you see both in your studio? Do you see people trying to prevent bad news and also get, get over something? Yeah, so um, definitely we get a lot of people that come to yoga for pain, um, you know, for much more than pain sometimes, anxiety, depression, all different things, but a lot of physical pain probably the number one thing people come in for is back pain. Um, they've either been seeing a chiropractor or, you know, a, just a doctor that's referring them to yoga to try something. Um, and gosh, I haven't heard anybody walking out saying that it hasn't helped them at least a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah so um, absolutely. And, you know, as a side note, I used to teach yoga down at the Veterans Hospital in Detroit. Um, and I worked in the pain clinic. And it was really interesting because there would be a lot of people that would, well, almost everyone would come in with PTSD, some level of depression, uh, some level of anxiety, and all of them being on some amount of pills. Um, and by the course of the six weeks that I got to see them, many were able to come off of a lot of those medications, a lot of them being pain medications. So there really is some truth to that, having seen it firsthand. So... Uh Sticking with the pills concept for a minute, we've got a serious uh, opioid problem in the United States now where people are taking opioids to conquer pain. Um, yeah. they, think it's, they think it's an intractable problem. The only thing that could possibly help them is, is more medication, which of course is a one-way dead-end street. And then depression itself, you know, with, with drugs like Prozac, these are people taking a pill because nothing else seems to work for them. Um, wearing bright colors, you know, burning lavender candles at, you know, at home at night, therapy, nothing's working for them. And so pain medication remains the go-to. And yet 
if pain, if, if the root of pain medication, and I'm not a pharmacist, is that something, it, it settles something in your, you know, in the, in the chemical release that allows depression to not be as oppressive. Mm -hmm. And you can find some sort of physical activity, like getting together with a bunch of cool people that, you know, think something of themselves and, and want to make themselves better. That seems like a much better alternative for me. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Yeah. I mean, really, um, and I don't want to make it sound quite so easy to get out of pain, um, but it can be as simple as learning to breathe in a different way, you know, mm -hmm. um, learning to posture yourself in a different way. As you mentioned, you know, we're sedentary, you know, um, pretty much everything that we do is in front of us. Uh, you know, our computers are in front of us, our phones are in front of us, our steering wheels are in front of us. Everything we do is kind of oriented forward. Um, so even just to move the fluids and stimulate the body in a way that's not forward, you know, twisting the spine and extending the spine and doing things can be um, potentially really helpful, not only for the physical body, but also just for the mind, you know, get, get some, some movement in the nerves themselves. Um, one of the most important things, or one of the really coolest things that I see is how our breath impacts our nervous system. Um, what does? How the breath, the breath impacts the nervous system, yeah. Tell me more. Okay, so, um, you know, simply changing the way that you breathe. A lot of, how we start every yoga practice really is with paying attention to our breath. Um, and most people tend to breathe a little shallow, you know, a little high up in the body. Uh, when we breathe that way, uh, it makes us really anxious. And when you come into a yoga class, even within the first few minutes, we kind of teach you to breathe a little bit deeper into the belly, a little bit deeper into the lungs. Um, and that really begins to soothe and nourish the nervous system, which, you know, could potentially make you feel better. For sure. So let's talk about breathing for a minute. And then when I get into body fluids and how they move around, this idea of stretching and, you know, looking in different directions and stuff. Uh, when I was a kid in fifth grade, uh, Mr. Lewis comes in with a bunch of musical instruments and you get to choose what instrument you want to play. And for those of us that chose wind instruments, we very quickly got a lesson in breathing, which, we, which caught us by surprise because we had been breathing on our own for 13 or 14 years. But he started talking about using something called the diaphragm, which we had never heard of, to breathe deep from down below rather than shallow from the chest. I assume that that's, what, that's kind of what you're talking about when you talk about shallow breathing versus deeper breathing. Right. Um, so when people breathe shallow breaths, they're really using the accessory muscles of breath instead of the primary muscle of breathing, which is the diaphragm, you know, which is what your teacher taught you. Um, is the diaphragm, I'm, I guess I'm still not completely aware of what, what's happening. Diaphragm's way, I can't really show you, but it's kind of down here, isn't it? Yeah. So um, if you imagine the bottom of your rib cage. Yep. The diaphragm is sort of this thin sheath-like muscle that nestles right up at the very bottom of the ribs. Um, okay. As you breathe in and your lungs expand, the diaphragm descends and it kind of distorts the internal organs and so the belly rises. As yeah. you exhale, the diaphragm nestles right back up in the ribs, helping the lungs to get rid of all of the air. Right. Um, and that's the, you know, the really gentle flow um, and, and work of the, nervous, of, the, uh, of the diaphragm. Right, so for those of you watching now, Amy can talk me through this a bit. So if I, if I, first of all, if I, if I try that shallow, easy breathing that Amy's talking about, and I just, and I know this isn't how it works, Amy, but for, for our listeners and people watching, when, when I take an even shallow breath, I can feel the upper part of my chest move a bit, right? Yeah. Because, because air is coming into the cavity and bumping it out a bit. 
but if I do that, if I do that shallow breath down below, I don't feel it move as much. Is that a physical demonstration of what's actually happening? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay. So you're using more accessory muscles with breath. So you're you're using the muscles that are in between the ribs. You're using you know some of the upper shoulder and neck muscles there instead yes. of concentrating on that diaphragm. Yeah. So uh, the opposite of that, guys, is that if you put your hand down here, and so my ribs end right here. If I put my hand down here and spread your fingers so you can actually feel the, the, the uh, fascia, because you said it's a sheet-like muscle, right? Very thin? Uh, the, the diaphragm is a pretty thin muscle, yeah, but it actually nestles up in the ribs. So imagine yeah, like, like a concave like this. Like a parachute, and it goes all the way around. Okay, very good. Uh, I, I guess I'm just trying to physically demonstrate it to everybody so they, they get a sense of what this is about. So then if you, if you imagine drawing your breath from your stomach, which is technically impossible, guys, because your lungs are up here, right? Mm -hmm. but, and then fill up all the way up here like this, which is what Mr. Lewis used to teach us back in fifth grade. It, I mean, it's, it's a flashback to this idea of deep, this deep breathing. And the way we, reason we did it playing wind instruments, I played the trumpet, is that you could, you could play longer phrases or you could play more loudly because there was more air moving. And the only way to get more air into the horn was to have it come from down below instead of, you know, in my throat someplace. Right. So that's when I first started thinking about this deep breathing thing. And I, of course, have been thinking about it ever since, but not in the yoga sense. All right. Now, uh, you mentioned bo body fluids. Uh, and I'm sure this is, um, <laughs> people's imaginations are going crazy. We're talking about lymph fluid. We're talking about blood in particular. Yep. Truths. So um, you know, we do, most of us, many of us have a really sedentary lifestyle where we don't actually, and you know, even joint fluids. So we don't move through the, the articulations of the joints like we should most days. Right. And, um, you know, that's where yoga is really helpful and really any movement is really helpful. You could go for a walk and that would be extremely beneficial to somebody that does nothing but maybe sit and drive all day. That's right. That's right. And which is why breaks are important. Absolutely. Like, like these people at work that, you know, they're going to muscle through a four-hour meeting because they're macho or, you know, dedicated to work. Stupidest thing I ever heard. Because when you get up and you move, my dad used to call it oxygenating the blood. Mm -hmm. uh, the blood starts to move through the system. This is the fluid motion that Amy's talking about. And oxygenated blood in the brain is a good thing. And your brain stops getting oxygen if you're sitting down for long periods of time. And when people die... Uh, uh, if you're laying flat on your back, the, the blood actually pulls in the bottom of your, this is gross, it pulls in the bottom of your body. There's a name for this. And that's how they can tell that you haven't moved for a while. Mm -hmm. And if you don't think that's true when you're still alive, you know, you're just not thinking clearly. That's right. And lymph fluid, talk a little bit about that because that's like the magic. Um, I don't know much about it myself, but it's, it, that's what's moving too with yoga, yeah? Um, sure. And I don't want to speak too much on that because I'm not really intimately um, informed about that. But, okay. um, but, you know, that would definitely be something that we would want to move around as well. And the lymph nodes are really small. Um, so you really do have to find uh, many different ways to move the body to kind of get into the, that, the lymphatic system. Right. And then finally, this idea of, of, of not looking forward all the time. Um, so there's yoga movements like um, sitting down and then twisting behind, like using your right hand to get a bearing on the floor, right? And, and, and actually look behind you. There's another one I remember where we're looking down between our legs, stuff that you just don't normally do in the course of the day. 
Why is that so important in yoga? Um, well, I think that we're designed, you know, as human beings to move in every which way. Yeah. Um, be really healthy we need to move the body in the way it was designed to move and you know our spine in particular was can move in six directions so you know i think people move it in one most days they fold forward we're in this you know flexed state from our hips to our torso um, but we can also backward bend which i'm sure most people don't do very often you know we can laterally side bend which most people probably don't do very often um, and obviously we can have that rotational movement that twisting of the spine as well um, and when you don't do that for a really long time, the muscles start to get probably weak and tense. And then when you have to do it, like you might have to reach and grab something, that's when people get strains and injuries because the muscles are so tight and they haven't been moving. For sure. Did you just take us through the six ways the spine can bend? I think I did. Yeah. <laughs> Left, right, down, back. That's the hard one. Yeah. And side to side. Side to side. Yeah. Rotational. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true, you know, because when, when you're exercising, doing these more physical forms of exercise, they talk about the core, mm -hmm. you know, build the core. And then the core is built up of all these little muscles around, you know, obliques and muscles around the sides of your body and stuff. And you're right. That's the one you twist when you're reaching for the light, light the plug and uh, unplug the light and you can't come out. You wrench your back on a, such a little thing like that. So this is what's interesting for me. Uh, not everybody's able to do really strong, violent, physical exercise. Extreme sports are not for everybody. But yoga is for almost anybody. Is that true? It's such an easy entry point. If you just have to get your butt to the studio or to online, we want them to come to your studio, but there's also online yoga. I mean, you could just watch. It's mimicry in its purest sense, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you know, um, I mean, we have people over the age of 80 that come to our studio and practice yoga. And you know, they're not practicing, like I said, we have many different styles. So they're not practicing the hot vinyasa, the quicker pace classes. You know, we find them more in a gentle yoga class or a yin yoga class. Um, but you know, as young as seven to as old as, you know, 82, I believe is what we have right now. And it's really interesting because they can all be in the same exact class. And I've been, I've been in that class, and most of the people are women, which is another thing that, like, women are so cool because they know they need to take care of themselves, and they're not above, men sometimes feel they're above this because it's not violent, it's not hitting something, you know, which is what most sport is made of. Um, one thing that always got me in yoga, and we're wrapping up here with Amy Satterfield, everybody, from Explore Yoga in Troy, and we're doing an event together, everybody, January 30th. Well, there'll be more about that in the notes down below, also a registration link. And I'm looking forward to that, Amy. But this idea of 80-year-old um, woman over here and a seven-year-old boy over here, and here I am. And some of us have been in the class 80 times. Some of us have been in the class once. And the yoga instructor always says, go at your own pace uh, and do, you know, do whatever you can which bothers me because I'm like, no, this is supposed to be a class. We're all supposed to be doing the same thing. But that's me. That's my old school thinking, right? That's your ego. Yeah. That's the, you know, <laughs> <laughs> about that a lot in yoga. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think what the teacher means is, you know, modify for what you should be doing today. And, you know, maybe the 80 year old can do more than, you know, the, the 40 year old or even the seven year old. I have, um, you know, a 75-year-old woman that outplanks the young men that come in class, and it's really cool to see. So, yeah. um, you know, you do what's right for you on that day, and I think it's just about listening to your body 
um, and, and really tuning into knowing what's needed at any moment. What some of the uh, what some of the teachers say is they they have like this default pose that you can go to like table pose or something, mm -hmm. um, which is uh, on all fours everybody, and then you wait there until that difficult move is over until or until the blood returns to your brain. <laughs> In my case, and um, no about that, so you know always take breaks when you need them. Yeah, what's up with all these poses, man? They're all named after animals, the like cat, uh, cow. Uh, yeah. Um, pigeon yeah well you know I guess it goes just kind of with how they look in the body I don't know where the English names how they who, who correlated the English names um, for these these poses um, but you know most of them are direct translations from um, from the Sanskrit names but it's just what the body looks like in the pose yeah know. yeah and they're fun I mean downward facing dog there's another animal name uh, funny story before we go um, the, uh, the guy that I like here in town, he's really close to us, and we go early in the morning. It's dark. We've been to your studio, too, but this is so easy for us in the morning. And, um, and uh, he, he, likes to, he likes to be zen and earthy when he talks to us. So he, it's always about reaching for the sky, not the ceiling, but the sky, right, or toward the earth. But whenever he gestures this way, it's toward the parking lot, which I get a big... <laughs> Now you start laughing every time everybody looks at me like, what's up with you, pal? <laughs> uh, you are fantastic. You're a role model for so many of us because you take care of yourself, man. And a lot of us need to do a better job at that. We could lead not only longer lives, but better quality lives by being a, a bit more careful about this connection between mind and body and spirit in the case of uh, yoga. And I just, I'm just so glad that you're teaching so many people how to do this. Thank you. Me too. Give us the website again uh, for Troy, Michigan. This is in Southeast Michigan, everybody. Explore Yoga is where? Uh, we're on the corner of Square Lake and Rochester Road in Troy. Um, yeah, you can visit us on our website, Explore Yoga Troy. Um, you could also go to our Facebook page where we post a lot of things. Um, of course, we're on Instagram and all of that good stuff as well. Um, it's just under Explore Yoga. Studio. Great. Amy Satterfield, everybody, she's great. Come see us, and uh, we're, we're going to do a little panel discussion on mind, body, spirit on January 30th in Troy. And again, the registration link will be down below in the show notes. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Michael.